Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So we're going to pay off something that we promised yesterday in that I wanted to look a little deeper here at the Georgia offensive recruits over the course of the the 2022 cycle and what Kirby Smart said about these guys when he spoke to the reporters there on Wednesday and listen you know I think it's justified the feelings that some Georgia fans have expressed of well it's great that Georgia's added so many five stars once again and it's great that Georgia whether it's going to be ranked first second or third uh, it's great that Georgia's put together another elite recruiting class but how about those guys on offense you know how, how about those guys that allow Georgia to look a little bit more like what Alabama looked like along its way to winning the SEC championship or what recent national champions in college football have looked like how about the offensive guys that help Georgia achieve all of that and I understand where that's kind of coming from uh and so recruiting's obviously the number one way in which you stock your roster with the future talent that allows you to have that kind of success and so the questions that have been asked related to that I think are worth considering here a little bit so let's talk a little bit about what Georgia's 2022 offensive hall thus far what this means for the future of the program and how that potentially addresses some of what's going to be going on with this program as soon as next year. Now, you got to understand something. I still very much believe that Georgia is a strong candidate to win this year's national championship. Some of you have kind of given up after the loss against Alabama. We've gone back and forth on that. I'm not interested in rehashing that, at least for right now. Uh, But you should know that while I was very disappointed in how Georgia played against Alabama and kind of the way in which Georgia arrived onto the scene in the college football playoff, the fact that you're in this tournament, in this Final Four, the fact that you got Michigan coming up in a couple of weeks, the fact that Georgia's actually still a point spread favorite against Alabama, uh, looking ahead to a potential look-ahead national championship line, at least right now, according to some of the sports books, I still give Georgia a chance to win this year's national championship, and I think you should as well. But whether you do or you don't, and whether Georgia does or doesn't win this year's title, there are still some big questions to be asked by about Georgia going into the 2022 season on the offensive side of the ball. And some of what we see from this year's recruiting class, I think, suggest answers to those questions or at least makes the conversation around those topics a little bit more intriguing. Let's start here at quarterback. Georgia has brought in a very intriguing prospect at the quarterback position for the 2022 class. It's Gunnar Stockton. Stockton is a tough dude. You know, when I saw Gunnar play a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't his best game. It certainly wasn't Rabin County's best game. Uh, They were handled by Thomasville in the playoffs. But, man, you came away just, I think, quite impressed by the toughness that Gunner shows this is a guy who takes a licking during a game and as the old commercial would have said back in the 80s keeps on ticking you know uh he was bleeding profusely the old like you know professional wrestling line about his face being a crimson mask it was indeed and yet Stockton didn't slow down at all playing all the way to the end that toughness you need at the quarterback position you need a guy that just shows up ready to go for you each and every week and I think a guy like that, uh, that's what Gunnar Stockton does, kind of bring to the table. I think he's a very tough dude. He's also a very prolific passer throughout the entirety of his career here in the state of Georgia. And on Wednesday, Kirby Smart spoke a little bit more about exactly what he thinks that Georgia's getting in Gunnar Stockton and exactly you know, how long he has known of Gunner and kind of what Smart likes about what Stockton brings into the position room there for Georgia. So from Wednesday, Kirby Smart on Gunner Stockton apart very soon of a pretty intriguing quarterback battle going into 2022, this Kirby on Gunner. The recruitment of Gunner was really interesting because we've known Gunner, at least I've known Gunner since he was a small kid. You know, his dad uh, hosted me at a uh, official visit in Georgia Southern many years ago, so I've known his dad for a long time. My dad was the, the high school coach there. As Gunner was a young, young kid, um, uh, tremendous athlete, uh, tremendous character. I don't know that you could raise a finer young man uh, in today's day and age of all the, I don't know what you call it, the attention-seeking uh, people. He's never done that, and uh, he's stuck to his guns that he loves UGA and that he wants to be here and uh, certainly a, a major part of our signing class. So Kirby Smart calls him there a major part of the signing class. We obviously believe that's true. A lot of attention to any quarterback when they sign with Georgia, especially a guy like Gunner that was as prolific during his high school career as he was. And 
Here's the thing that I firmly believe. As I said before, and I think this is an important caveat to this discussion, I believe that Georgia can win this year's national championship regardless of whichever one of its quarterbacks is the guy that's leading the way there. We presume it's going to be Stetson Bennett because that's been his job now for quite some time. So whether it's Bennett or if JT Daniels were to step back in, whatever else, I still believe that Georgia can win this year's national championship. But whether that happens or it doesn't, my feelings about next year's quarterback situation are not going to be changed. I believe that next season, if you want to look ahead to 2022, when Gunnar Stockton is on the scene here at Georgia, I just think it's time to have an open quarterback competition again. It's time to take everybody that exists at Georgia, and right now we don't know who that's going to be. There's the potential of what being five different guys there. One way or another, that's probably not the case. Georgia's going to have seemingly at least one transfer out of its quarterback situation right now because that's just kind of what goes on with college football here at the moment that that we won't probably see all five of the potential quarterbacks that could be at Georgia at Georgia next year one of them's likely to be gone and there's at least some chance that maybe more than one of them is gone I won't you know speculate about who it might be and and what might happen because I don't know that that's necessarily all that fair to do but it is fairly easy to assume that that all of the quarterbacks that could be at Georgia won't be here But for the ones that are, whether it be guys that have played like Stetson Bennett or guys that have played like JT Daniels or guys that haven't played, really at least not very much, Brock Vandegrift, Carson Bagg, uh, you know, obviously Gunnar Stockton coming in as a freshman. Whoever's here, the combination of veterans, the combination of newcomers, relative newcomers, whoever's here, just throw them out there in a competition and let's see what they all bring to the table and let's let the best man win. Stetson Bennett's the reigning national champion. I would say congratulations. Thanks for helping bring home this title to Georgia. Now get out there and compete for your job. If JT Daniels decides to return with the assumption that maybe he'll get more of a chance to play in 2022 than he got in 2021, I'd shake his hand and I'd say JT I'm glad you came back best of luck this season now get out there and compete and earn this job for guys like Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton and others I would say hey I realize you've got all these accolades Brock you're a five-star Gunnar you were a five-star for a while you're clearly a highly rated recruit congratulations on your high school career now get out there and show me what you can do at the college level whoever's here whatever their backstory is whether that have been earned in the college ranks or the high school ranks, or whatever else, go out there now and earn this job for 2022. I don't care if Georgia's the reigning national champion. I don't care if it gets blown out in the college football playoff. I do not care. Whoever comes back, whoever decides not to transfer, whoever decides to come into this program, go out there and compete. That's just what I would do. I'd have an open competition for next season. And I sort of assume that's probably what Smart will do there as well. And my assumption is the language that he uses ahead of next season will kind of probably be, you know, uh, language that sort of speaks to that as an idea. Now, the thing that kind of runs parallel to the quarterback conversation is also what's going to happen for George, the wide receiver spot. And of all of the position groups where Georgia just kind of collects one elite name after the other, the wide receiver room right now is kind of not really doing that. There was a period of time in 2019 and 2020 where Georgia signed a total of four top 10 rated wide receivers over the course of those two signing classes and bringing in George Pickens, the first five-star that the program had signed as a listed wide receivers in 10 years. And then you also had like Aaron Smith and Marcus Roseme and, you know, uh, Dominic Blaylock. You had four top 10 receivers signed over the course of the 2019 and 20 signing periods. But 2021, 2022 has been a little bit of a return back to what Georgia was as a a recruiting program of of Robert receivers kind of before that, where you're not really quite bringing in that same caliber of, of elite name. Now, some of the guys you brought in, like Ladd McConkey, have played better than their recruiting ranking would have suggested. But over the course of the long haul, you need to win with guys like Evan Stewart or guys like Luther Burden, guys that at one point in time it seemed like Georgia might have a chance with, but ultimately made decisions to go play somewhere else. you got to do better with wide receiver recruiting than what Georgia's currently doing. Smart did, though, on Wednesday address what Georgia did bring in from a wide receiver standpoint and the specific trait that he likes that a lot of these guys certainly have. This is Kirby once again. Well, I think it starts with speed. You got to have vertical speed down the field, and we feel like we've got some guys that can really stretch the field and do that. Um, high character. You got to be able to, to, to learn. You got to be able to uh, buy into the the offense, the the understand the splits, understand the route tree, understand all the things, the intricacies that go into playing the position. Um, 
and we got a really good group there. I think each one of those guys that we've been able to bring on board brings a different attribute, you know, whether it's excellent speed, excellent size, uh, quickness, toughness, all those things you look for. And um, in, in, in wideout is another position that when you look across the board, we're, we're down. Like we were down all year, not just because of injury. We were just down because we had three or four leave. Um, and now we're trying to replace all those guys and play catch up. Uh, and that's tough to do in, in, in our league. I like to have the numbers where we kind of hit quota. And if you're finding out more and more now, it's easier to leave than it is to get them. So we got to get some more guys there. I'm going to say something for a moment that you've heard me say before, that people have a tendency to overrate what can be done in one year, but underrate what can be done over the course of many years, five years, Bill Gates. That's a quote he made famous at one point in time. And there's obviously some frustration around Dog Nation right now because the Georgia offense didn't magically transform into the nation's best over the course of just one year. But the frustration around that, I think, obscures the fact that over the course of the last few years that Georgia has been taking some steps to get better each and every year. Let me give you a quick three-year trend here for a moment. If you go back and look at 2019 for a moment, Georgia only averaged 30.8 points per game. Now, that number is made worse when you consider that in the full year of 2019, when Georgia was playing non-conference opponents, Georgia scored 50-something against Georgia Tech, scored, what, 50-something against Arkansas State. Then they score 60-something against Murray State that year. They had big point totals in three non-conference games, Georgia Tech, Murray State, Arkansas State. And yet, with all of that, still only average 30.8 points per game for the year in 2019. Against SEC opponents that year, Georgia was only averaging about 21 or so points per game against SEC foes. This was not a good offense in 2019. Yet in 2020, it got way better. There were no non-conference foes to kick around. The only games that Georgia played were against SEC opponents and then the bowl game against a top-10-ranked Cincinnati team. And yet for the year, Georgia averaged 32.3 points per game. So against tougher competition, Georgia averaged more points per game. That's a testament to Todd Munkin in his first year as offensive coordinator. Then this season, Georgia took another step forward, averaging 39.4 points per game. So over the course of the last two years, Georgia has improved its points per game number by about 10 points. And year over year, it's improved that by about a touchdown per game. That speaks to the success that Todd Munkin has brought to UGA. Now, I don't tell you this to say you ought to be thrilled by that. I tell you this to say that you ought to notice that the progress, the development is occurring. And what that speaks to is more progress that also needs to be seen next year. Once again, whether Georgia wins this year's national championship or not, the goal is not to win one national championship. The goal is to be a national championship contender for many years to come. And Georgia still needs to take more steps offensively to really ensure that it's a a true contender year after year after year. Getting better offensively in 2022 than it was in 2021 would certainly be an appropriate next step for an offense that's improved now year over year, three years in a row. So from that standpoint, I I think that's just fair to say. And if you want to kind of put a specific description on what it's going to take to get there, to go back to what Smart was saying about wide receiver a moment ago, here is to me a very realistic, reasonable goal for Georgia to achieve that. We saw Georgia break out with a pass-catching weapon this year, the likes of which the Kirby Smart just hasn't had, the likes of which this Georgia program really hasn't had very much of even prior to Kirby Smart. Brock Bowers had that kind of year. First-team All-SEC, All-American type guy, uh, the the look of a future first-round pick, uh, obviously setting records in terms of the touchdown catches that he's had. Only one player in the entire SEC had more touchdown catches this year than Brock Bowers had. He's kind of a tight end doing all of that but he's really a pass catching weapon and almost no one's more prolific than he's been doing that kind of stuff he comes back for next year his sophomore season and what I think is a very realistic goal for Georgia to ensure that there's another year of offense offensive growth to match what happened in 2020 to match what happened in 2021 is Georgia needs to find something from that crop of wide receivers. You just heard Kirby talk about the numbers. They brought in more receivers this year to kind of fill out the numbers they need for the program. And some of that are guys that have played, like Jermaine Burton. Uh, Some of that is guys who've been injured, like, say, Dominic Blaylock, Arian Smith. Some of that are young guys that look like they could be growing into very good players, like certainly Ladd McConkey, possibly A.D. Mitchell. Some of that are guys like Cole Spear who just showed up in the program. I don't care which category of receiver you're in, but of the entire group of receivers, I don't think it's unfair or unrealistic to ask one of those guys 
to play as well as Brock Bowers is playing right now. For someone to be the kind of elite threat as a receiver that Georgia has in Brock Bowers. And if you can add another sort of first-team All-SEC, future first-round pick-style pass-catching target at the receiver position to go along with what Brock Bowers does for the tight end position, that's a way, regardless of who's playing quarterback, for Georgia to take another big step offensively. And as Smart said, when you look at the total numbers of what this is, 11, 12, 13 guys, however many total receivers we're talking about, to ask one of those guys to be very good next season, I don't think he's asking too much. Had George Pickens been healthy for the full year this year, he clearly would have been able to achieve that. You can imagine how much better the Georgia offense would have looked like for the entirety of the season if you had both Pickens and Brock Bowers. You can kind of imagine that. Well, Pickens may be gone next year. He may very likely move on to the NFL. I guess I'm assuming he probably will. But asking someone from this group to play about as well as George Pickens would have played for you, I simply don't think is asking too much. So that's kind of two stories for the Georgia offense. What happens at quarterback? I think there needs to be an open competition starting in 2022. What happens at wide receiver? Don't really know who it is. Almost don't even really care who it is, but you need to have a receiver break out for you in a big way. Those are hot topics that Georgia fans discuss all the time when it comes to the UGA offense. However, there's another offensive issue that I frankly don't think has been getting enough attention, and I want to highlight that a little bit as well based on what's happened with the 2022 signing class. But first, I need to introduce the show. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Kroger, and we're glad to have you with us here today. Whether you watch us at 945 on our first and 15, there on dognation.com, the Dog Nation app, or if you join us on video at 10, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, of course, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, and a podcast. Wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com, just very happy to have you with us as a part of the program here today always always fun stuff normally that includes jeff Sintel here we're actually gonna have a special guest in place of jeff in a moment our buddy connor riley is going to join us uh normally connor joins us for a kroger fresh take on tuesdays and by the way speaking of kroger uh the tremendous vince dooley book signings continue there around uh the the various kroger so you got some more stuff coming up with that including today that's december 17th 4 to 6 p.m that's the time once again as coach dooley is going to be on hand at the Georgetown Kroger on Shambly Dunwoody Road. That's 4498 Shambly Dunwoody Road in Dunwoody, 4 to 6 p.m. today. Going to be signing copies of his book, Dooley's Playbook. This is 34 of the great plays in UGA history. Steve Penley paintings accompany these as kind of an illustration. Coach Dooley tells his great stories about uh, being a part of these plays, what those moments meant for the history of Georgia football. Coach Julie's a great storyteller, both in print and in person. Your chance to get a great holiday gift, a book signed by Vince Dooley tonight or this afternoon, Kroger in Dunwoody. It's 4498 Shambly Dunwoody Road. Once again, 4498 Shambly Dunwoody Road. Coach Dooley there today from 4 to 6 p.m. signing copies of his book, Dooley's Playbook. I hope you will check that out. So as I told you, it's uh, Connor Riley coming up here in just a few minutes. We'll get more recruiting thoughts from him. But I want to continue this conversation for a moment, though, as we go around the doghouse delivered today by our friends at Marco's Pizza. So we said yesterday that we would look deeper at the Georgia offense based on what happens with the 2022 signing class. We did that with quarterback a moment ago. We did that with wide receiver a moment ago. However, there's another issue for the Georgia offense moving forward that I don't sometimes think gets the attention that it deserves. And I want to do that right now. One of the things that Smart also talked about going back to Wednesday, what Georgia did with the offensive line. Now, important caveat here, there is a very good chance that Georgia still adds an elite offensive lineman name before it's all said and done. Plenty of online chatter suggests that in January when the four-star prospect Ernest Green makes his announcement and decision that he may choose Georgia. This has kind of been a Georgia-Alabama battle. There has been some belief as of late that Georgia may have pulled ahead. Supposedly this week, Green signed his letter of intent, and on January, as a part of one of those high school football all-star games, he will make the announcement of where indeed he's going. So for now, the hay may not completely be in the barn as of yet when it comes to Georgia and its offensive line recruiting. But as far as what Georgia did bring in, admittedly fewer of the 
elite four and five star names in this class that what we've kind of come to expect from Georgia you think about all the the success that Sam Pittman had there and even in the early days of Matt Luke you know guys like Amarius Mims and and others this has been a very successful program when it comes to recruiting offensive linemen not to say this year's crop won't turn out to be great players but it is a certainly a very different recruiting profile than what we have come to expect from George from the offensive line position. Let me let you hear Kirby Smart talking more about maybe why that was. This also from Wednesday. I think it's like everything. You have a um, uh, group. You have a class of alignment, and any NFL GM or scout would tell you, "Okay, this class is loaded with this." You know, last year's NFL draft class had a lot of really good corners. You know, we had two corners go pretty high. We had corners go before them. It was a really big corner draft class. As you look across the country, the offensive line class now, I'm not talking about recruiting rankings like you referenced. I wouldn't, I wouldn't refer to that because they're going to have a certain number of five stars and four stars they've got to hit. But the pool of offensive linemen probably wasn't as great as it's been in years past in terms of quality depth at that position. Now, if you go statistically, there's 100, 104 stars, 25 five stars. There may be the same number, but we're talking about on our board, we rate things completely differently than stars and things like that. We rate them where we can rate them across classes, meaning compare a guy in three classes ago to a guy in this class. There were probably not as many. Um, guys, I feel great about the guys we got. We got a couple guys with great size. Uh, we got a couple guys with great um, uh, upside kids that we think are going to be really good players um, that maybe haven't played football for a long time. But I love the core group we got, and we've got a good group here and good nucleus here on campus that we feel good about in terms of offensive line. So, listen – Here's the thing that I think you got to be really careful of with your Georgia, if you're Georgia. And you heard Smart talk about what Georgia did get from an offensive line standpoint. Clearly, Georgia is in the midst, it would appear, of trying to transition its offense somewhat. They're trying to be more explosive offensively. And on the basis of the three-year trend from a points-per-game standpoint, clearly Georgia's achieving that. They're scoring, as I said before, about 10 more points per game now than they did two years ago and a full touchdown per game more than they they did in, in 2020. But – there seems to be a little bit of a price being paid for some of this, or maybe there's a different explanation. But the offensive issue for Georgia that I don't believe is quite getting enough attention, this team does not run the ball the way that it used to. Let me give you a, a little bit of a four-year trend here there as well. Let's look at rushing yards per game. You want to go back to 2017, Georgia averaged 258 yards per game on the ground. Now, that's a pretty tough total to match given the fact that Georgia's third string running back that year was DeAndre Swift. So the, the, the idea that you're ever going to be as good as you were then, just not, a diff, not, not an easy thing to do because you had the greatest tandem of running backs that maybe has ever played together in college football, and I mean that literally, between Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, DeAndre Swift, the third team running back that year. Of course you're going to be great with your rushing attack. Georgia didn't throw the ball very much at all back then, 258 yards per game. However, the numbers are still what they are. Following year, still an elite number, but it drops by about 20 yards per game. Georgia averaged 238 yards per game on the ground in 2018. Then you get to uh, 2019, where Georgia was still very much a run-first team in 2019. This is what we've said over and over again. That When you want to talk about the offensive story for Georgia, I think one of the things you have to address is just how bad Georgia was offensively in 2019. Trying to run the ball as much as it did, but only averaging 185 yards per game on the ground. That's a big drop over the course of a three-year span. Then last year, Georgia actually averaged even less yards per game on the ground. 174 yards per game on the ground in 2020. Part of that could have been explained by the fact that Georgia was only playing SEC opponents, but nonetheless, the numbers are what they are. From 2017 to 2020, Georgia dropped by at least, you know, on average, 20 yards per game per season, right? From 258 to 238 to 185 to 174. That's a big drop year over year over year over year. Now, this year, there was a little bit of a step back in the right direction. Georgia averaged 195 yards per game on the ground here this season, but it's still a far cry of what it once was. And for the most part, we've kind of overlooked the fact that the Georgia offensive line has gone from being what it used to be great to now probably only being good. That the Georgia ground attack has kind of gone from being what it used to be, which was great, to now kind of only being good. For the most part, we've kind of shrugged that off on this show, saying that, hey, the overall story for the offense continues to be a positive trend. 
But if you really want to nitpick here, and some fans seem to want to, that one of the areas which you probably should nitpick more than currently gets done is what is happening for Georgia on the ground. That one way or another, that even as Georgia tries to throw the ball more and tries to be more explosive, success on the ground is still going to be a part of Georgia's overall profile as a team. And those numbers have actually regressed a lot in recent seasons. And in 2022, with the offensive linemen that Georgia can put out there, with the running backs that Georgia puts out there, including Branson Robinson, a guy signed here for the class of 2022, improvement is needed. And, and Smart's probably correct when he makes the comparison year over year that some of the story for the Georgia offensive line next season is leaning on former elite recruits that have been in the program for a year or two and just haven't quite gotten their chance. But next year, Georgia needs those guys to be great. That what Georgia runs the risk of is as it tries to transition to a more explosive offense is an offense that kind of gets stuck. It's suddenly not quite as dominant was as, as, as it was in the run game, but it's also not quite as prolific as it needs to be in the passing game. That's the thing I think you have to be a little bit careful about, that as Georgia tries to become a little bit more like what the rest of college football is doing, that it has kind of lost a little bit of what it's done well in the past. And next season, whether it wins this year's national championship or not, next year it does need to try to find a way with a great offensive line and great running backs. It needs to try to find a way to get some of that back. That is around the doghouse. It's delivered today by our friends at Marco's Pizza. And, of course, a lot of you have holiday parties coming up right now. And Marco's Pizza goes great with those. I'm talking about a chance to enjoy some great-tasting pizza authentic old world flavor at a terrific terrific price that's what marco's pizza is of course famous for including right now a big deal that you can get that uh you know just great savings all the way around how about a bundle which includes a large one topping pizza a pizza bowl which is like the pizza flavor without the crust or cheesy bread all of that just 21.99 all comes together the large one time pizza the pizza bowl the cheesy bread all for just 21.99 you can check that out today online at marcos.com or on the marcos app there as well marcos pizza pizza lovers get it you can get some here this weekend there as well so enjoy yourself some marcos pizza here today before we're done on today's program i am going to try to dive a little deeper into what has turned out to be the big story of the week uh travis hunter choosing jackson state over florida state nation's number one prospect going the fcs route there with Deion sanders Deion sanders said some very interesting things yesterday about how hunter ended up at jackson state and in a roundabout way this kind of contradicts some things he said in the past so we'll see if we can figure out what's actually going on with the name image likeness stuff related to the biggest story in recruiting right now and we'll try to figure out why everyone's talking about nil but no one seems to really have an idea of truly what's going on here we'll do all that before we're done also big news around the sec we'll get to that there too but for now lot of recruiting recap for everything from the class of 2022 let's do it all let's talk to Krog, uh blah, excuse me let's talk to connor riley here on dog nation daily presented by kroger from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a DogNation.com insider Connor Riley, good enough to be here today in place of Jeff Sintel. And I guess in a lot of ways, this is kind of a seamless transition. Connor, typically a Kroger fresh take with us on Tuesday. And we're Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger today. So I guess it all kind of works out in the end. Uh, Connor, thanks for being with us. And I certainly appreciate your time here today. No problem. Pleasure to be on with you twice this week. I know. It's, a, it's great to get a chance to double dip with you here on that. And let me I don't want to spend the whole time rehashing what I've just said. But I do want to get a couple thoughts from you on this that when I look at the offensive recruits that Georgia brought in, I do think it raises interesting questions for the program going forward. I think fans who are kind of fixated on that, I understand kind of where they come from on that. So a couple of the things that I've said, in fact, what I just said, is that we've had a fairly high tolerance over the last year or so for a Georgia offensive line that's been probably good but not great, for a Georgia rushing attack that's probably been pretty good this year but certainly not what it once was. You know, folks pay a lot of attention to quarterback and wide receiver and throwing the ball. But the Georgia running game kind of returning to a little bit more of a resemblance of what it was in 2017 and 2018. Connor, isn't that also a very important story for Georgia, whether it wins this year's national championship or not? I think so, but so much of that is I think teams now know when you're playing Georgia, hey, we're just going to crowd the box and not let you beat us by running the football. It's sort of like when, when Georgia Tech used to run the triple option or when teams run the triple option, the first thing you always have to take away is the fullback dive because it's an automatic four or five yards every play. And while it's not flashy or explosive, 
if you keep hitting that, it gets you beat. And so if teams are going to content are going to be content to let Georgia run for five six yards a carry on them, it, then I think you saw it against Auburn. You saw it a little bit against Tennessee as well. That's just a recipe to lose. And so I think going forward, Georgia needs to show that they're a more competent passing team on a down by down basis explicitly, and they've done that at times this year but not frequently enough, in my opinion, to warrant, okay, teams now have to drop, you know, seven guys back in coverage because they're afraid of the pass as opposed to a lot of Georgia's success this year. I think the passing game has come on play action. So they're still sort of using the run to set up the pass, and I think going forward you'd like to see the pass maybe be used to set up the run. I agree with almost everything you say there, especially what you say there at the end about – as the Georgia passing game progresses, it'll make things easier for the Georgia running game. That's something we've certainly talked about plenty around here. I guess here's what my slight concern would be, that if the Georgia rushing attack regresses faster than the passing attack progresses, that at a certain point you kind of get stuck in the transition. And listen, the Georgia offensive story for this season is mostly a positive one. As I've said now a million times, Georgia's scoring about 10 more points per game in 2021 than it did in 2019 and a touchdown per game more this year than it did in 2020. So there's a lot to like about the Georgia offense right now, but this is an offense that's also in transition, I believe, with Todd Munkin at the helm. It wants to look more like what the other elite offenses in college football look like. And you just got to make sure that the transition makes some room for what you have done well because if that slows down quicker than the passing game progresses, then at that point in time, you probably get stuck, don't you? Yeah, and I think it's interesting with this year in particular. This offensive line, is, its strengths are as a pass-blocking unit. You know, Warren McClendon is a great pass blocker. I think Jamari Sawyer is a great pass-blocking left, left tackle. They're not exactly as beefy in the middle there with Warren Erickson, Cedric Von Prahn, and Justin Schaefer as they were, say, in the 2018 and 2019 class. So I do think that factors into it there as well. And with Schaefer and Sawyer moving on, you get a guy like Tate Ratledge back who I actually think in the way the Georgia offense has performed this year, his absence has sort of shown up with this not necessarily being as physical as a Georgia offense as we've seen in the past. And so you get a guy like him in, maybe an Amarius Mims plays guard, maybe it's Xavier Trust, another big-bodied guy, is filling in at that other guard spot next year. And I think you have a more physical offensive line in the interior, which I think opens more holes up in the run game and at least allows for a little bit more balanced of an offensive line in terms of playing to their strengths and skill sets because it's not a great run-blocking offensive line, in my opinion, but it's weirdly, I think, a very capable one from a pass-blocking standpoint. And Georgia just does not throw enough on standard downs or in standard situations to sort of take full advantage of that talked about wide receiver a moment ago you know in 2019 and 2020 this program was actually recruiting receivers at a pretty good pace better than it probably had in 10 years prior to that four top 10 receivers overall George Pickens the first five-star true receiver this program had signed in a decade Dominic Blaylock was an elite level player you know Rosemi and Arian Smith were top 10 players their position you know a guy like Jermaine Burton wasn't necessarily far off from that either and yet the 2021-2022 cycles have felt a little bit more like what we've come to expect from Georgia, unfortunately, when it comes to signing top-flight wide receivers. You've had guys like Ladd McConkey who've played better than their recruiting profile suggests they would have. But one way or another, from the, from the crop of receivers that Georgia currently has, once again, whether the Dogs win the title this year or not, they got to find a receiver that can really play at a high level, whether it's a young newcomer who makes a splash, veteran player who finally puts it all together. You're watching, if you're watching a video, you see George Pickens on your screen. Clearly, Pickens would have been that guy, and maybe in the college football playoff, he still will be that guy, but he spent most of this year hurt. One way or another, you got to find a guy next year to go alongside Brock Bowers that can do what Pickens would have done had he been healthy. Yeah, I think in the in the nineteen and twenty classes combined, they signed five top one hundred uh, wide receivers. In zero games this year, were all five of those players available to play? And I do think that matters into it a little bit. And I think you see that in recruiting rankings, or at least in the type of receivers that Georgia has been able to sign. I, I think, and I said this before the season as well, to really ramp up that recruiting in the wide receiver room to get it to where in Alabama has it on a year in year out basis. You need those 19 and 20 guys to really pop, to really emerge, to really develop. And for me this year, the biggest reason that didn't happen is injuries. Obviously, George Pickens and Dominic Blaylock coming off ACL injuries. 
Arian Smith had a multitude of injuries this year that when he was on the field, I, I thought he showed real promise. He just hasn't been able to do that consistently enough. And then Jermaine Burton has been battling injuries all season this year. So I, I do think that you need to see next year, and unfortunately it's the same story as it was this year, that group of guys that I just met, met, mentioned, and obviously George Pickens won't be one of them. I expect we all think he will head off to the NFL draft, but Blaylock will be back uh, more healthy than he has been. Burton, Smith can potentially stay healthy. Marcus Rosemary, Jack Saint can develop there. And let's also, you know, take into consideration maybe Lab McConkey adds another layer to his game and gets better. Maybe Donnie Mitchell takes another step up. Or maybe Georgia goes out and adds a transfer portal wide receiver. You know, Alabama, by all accounts, signed the greatest wide receiver hall of all time from a recruiting perspective last year. You know, up there with, I think, Ohio State's 2020 recruiting class. And Ohio State's, or Alabama's best receiver this year by far was a transfer that they got from Ohio State and Jamison Williams. So, you know, wide receiver, wide receiver development is always a little bit of a tricky thing, but you very clearly need guys who are now going to be veterans from those 2019 and 2020 classes, I think, to really emerge as those star players. If I could only tout one name as the biggest signee that George has had so far in this class, the one name I would pick would be Marvin Jones Jr. Do you agree with that or disagree with that? I will disagree with you on that. I think if Georgia landed Malachi Starks on Wednesday as opposed to back on March 25th when he first committed, I think you would say that about Starks. I think of all the prospects that Kirby Smart has signed, Malachi Starks might be the best athlete of all of them. He is a freaky, freaky track athlete, does just about everything well. I think he could play on offense if Georgia wanted to use there. I think he's going to start playing at the, in the secondary. I could see him potentially starting at safety if there's any there for Georgia, depending on who goes. I could also see him being a starter at star next year. This guy is an awesome football player from Jefferson, Georgia. And and while I largely – I think Jones is my number two answer there, uh, let's not forget Malachi Starks just because he committed back in March. So you've been very consistent on this because I believe you said the same thing on Cover 4 a couple of weeks ago. So if you don't mind, I'd like for you to talk more about it. Uh, you just gave a pretty good explanation, but you've been very steadfast in your belief in Malachi Starks. Now, it's an easy answer because he's obviously a very highly rated prospect and it's a position of need, but would you mind kind of going into more detail about why you're so sure about Starks? Because you've said it now a couple of times. Yeah, so I, and Kirby Smart provided a little bit more background on this, but Starks is a guy that's going to be enrolling early, and I think you look at the success that Brock Bowers had this year, that Adonai Mitchell had this year, that plays, I think, a really big part in getting a jump start there. So Malachi starts checks that box there. High-character guy, a guy that's going to take care of all the little things away from the field to make sure that he can be 100% on the field there. And then, you know, the big thing, again, in talking about Brock Bowers and the success that he had this year, opportunity, you know, yes, Georgia signed a bunch of great defensive backs, but Starks is really the only one that's a, a true star-level player at that safety position. I think missing out on Kamari Wilson might even put more of an emphasis to have Starks be a great player right away. And because of you know Georgia potentially losing a Lewisine, losing a Chris Smith, losing a Tavius Brini this year, losing all that, I think the opportunity is going to be there. Whereas maybe at that edge rusher outside linebacker position, you know I think there's actually a fairly reasonable chance Nolan Smith comes back. And if that's the case and you have another year of MJ Sherman, you have another year of Chaz Chambliss, maybe the opportunity isn't quite there for Jones in the way that I believe and I feel pretty confident that it's going to be there for Stark. I want to ask you one more question, Connor, before we let you go. Before that, I want to remind folks that normally on Fridays, get a chance to talk to Jeff Sintel. We're normally on the road with Jeff, assisted by AAA, and Jeff's obviously on the road right now. He's kind of getting his Christmas started a little early there. I'm going to be on the road a lot over the course of the next few days there as well. The legendary roadside assistance from AAA, always something that I enjoy taking with me everywhere I go when it comes to that, but also AAA and name to know for auto insurance there as well. In fact, when you check out AAA.com slash auto insurance, you can find out all the options available to you via our friends there at AAA, and you can find out why you can switch and save and put some more dollars in your pocket uh, via what AAA brings the table for you. So make sure you check them out online for that. Also, let me give you a number to call for more information on this too. Some of you like to do that. How about 866-380-1637? That's 866-380-1637. AAA doing great stuff for you. So make sure you check them out today and we'll be back on the road with Jeff Sintel, assisted by AAA again very soon too. So Connor, here's kind of the last thing I want to do with you and you kind of take this where you want to go. Folks are obviously kind of ready for what's next. Let's push college football playoff aside for a moment. 
when it comes to talent acquisition stuff. George is still in play for Christian Miller. I would say probably in pretty good shape there. Online chatter suggests maybe even some good things for Ernest Green. George is a finalist for Shamar Stewart, but I don't know that I feel all that great about that necessarily. You mentioned transfer portal in an, or a little earlier as part of your conversation. You know, what's on your horizon as far as Georgia still looking to acquire talent for the 2022 season? Yeah, so I think – so I, I'll preface this by saying I think Georgia's going to be playing in the national title game, and that's important to consider because it is essentially going to move the, the roster churn that we'll see back a week, and it's going to cram, I think, a lot of news and a lot of decisions into a very short amount of time. And so that week, starting from January 11th, the day after the national title game, to January 17th, which is the day uh, uh, underclassmen can declare for the NFL draft, you're going to see a lot of roster decisions either based on comings and goings with the NFL draft and the transfer portal as well. I think we've now seen 14 Power 5 schools have a quarterback enter the transfer portal. I, it is not, I think, a well-kept secret at this point to expect to see some movement from the Georgia quarterback room. Uh, whether that happens that first week in January, I'm not quite sure yet, but I think you're going to see other players enter the transfer portal there as well to try and get a start on finding new homes. And so that, that week in January, assuming Georgia plays in the national championship game, which I expect them to do, I expect them to beat Michigan, I think that's going to be a very telling week as far as what Georgia needs to do to finish up and acquiring talent in its team for the 2022 season. If, if you're asking me right now on December, I guess, 17th, for the positions to look at for a transfer portal, I would say wide receiver is still one of them. I would say safety is one of them. And I would say edge rusher there as well, even with Georgia's two, in my opinion, best signees, Malachi Starks and Marvin Jones Jr., playing two of those positions that I just mentioned. Connor, great stuff. Thanks for being here. Uh, pinch hitting for us. Talk some recruiting today. I hope you have a great weekend. and. We will look forward to getting a chance. We will have some Dog Nature Daily next week, and so you're going to be a part of that with us coming up on Tuesday once again. So I certainly appreciate that, and hope you have a great week. And, Connor, thanks for your time. Yep, really appreciate it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, we got a little bit of breaking news around the SEC. We'll get to that here coming up in just a moment. Not unexpected, but uh, it is now official. Before that, though, let me remind you, we're cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And coming up in April, we're going to be cruising with Royal Caribbean. I'm talking about being on the Independence of the Seas, leaving out of Port Canaveral, on our way to Nassau in the Bahamas, on our way to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, that wonderful private island oasis exclusively for those on a Royal Caribbean cruise. All of this is coming up. Unbelievable entertainment options on board these Royal Caribbean ships, including Independence of the Seas, the one we're going to be on. Also a great look there on video a moment ago at Perfect Day, Coco Cay. This is just going to be an incredible good time, an incredible time. So I, our buddy Wise Dog has reached out. Uh, he said he's going to be on the cruise. He tweeted this out again yesterday, challenging Dog Nation Daily listeners to join us there on that. So for all of you doing this, we've sold all kinds of rooms so far. So we're going to have a big party on board here. But it's going to get even bigger as the time goes on because you are going to be a part of that there as well. So please make sure you join us. Dog Nation Cruise sailing out of Port Canaveral uh, on April 25th, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day Coco Cay in the Bahamas, coming back on the 29th. All very convenient right there at Port Canaveral on the Independence of the Seas. So make sure you check that out. Go to dognation.com. There's a link right there at the very top of the page. It connects you with our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority, the only partner we would ever use to help us book travel like this. We trust them to make sure that we're going to get where we need to go, and we want you to do the same thing. Be a part of the Dog Nation Cruise with us. Dognation.com for more details on that. All right, so the precursor for all of this was Jake Johnson committing and signing with Texanium the other day. The thought was the package deal would hold there, and now it has officially as Max Johnson, former LSU starting quarterback, is now heading to Texas A&M too. So A&M has the number one class in the country, and they're also now going to be very active in the transfer portal as well, bringing in the former starting quarterback at LSU to now be at Texas A&M. What does this mean for Haynes King, uh, uh, who was or Hayes King, who was is supposed to be the starter at the beginning of last season? Don't really know. You know, is he going to stick it out and compete with Max Johnson? I obviously know that Zach Calzada was planning on leaving the program. The writing was kind of on the wall for him not to return as the starter for next year. But Max Johnson is coming in, and will this finally be the quarterback that Jimbo Fisher needs at Texas A&M 
to provide the offensive success that kind of matches what A&M has done defensively, what they've done with running the football. Is Max Johnson now going to be that guy? We may find out. Uh, good job by Michael Carvel getting that graphic ready to go for us. So Max Johnson now on his way to Texas A&M following in his brother's footsteps who committed and signed, also a former LSU commit, who signed with uh, Texas A&M there. So pretty big news there on that front. There had been some early rumors that both the Johnsons may be going to Florida State. Ends up not being the case. Now going to uh, Texas A&M. And so A&M, major offseason of talent acquisition. Number one ranked signing class. And now one of the more high-profile acquisitions through the transfer portal there as well for Texas A&M. All right, SEC through time. Cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. A lot of you have noticed that Katie Turner, the former recruiting director there, George is on her way to Florida. She had a long-time relationship with uh, Billy Napier, and now she'll you know, use that connection to go work there at Florida. Uh, in her tweet that she announced taking this job, took a little bit of a jab at Dan Mullen, which she says, uh, I can promise you that recruiting time is never going to be out of season. Now let's go have some fun. And obviously Florida fans are excited about this, as they should be. Georgia fans raise questions about this. Katie Turner uh, not the most famous person around college football, of course, but these recruiting staffers do major work. A major part of your recruiting apparatus are what those less famous people do for you, those that are just kind of making sure that the machine runs smoothly. And for Florida, the thought here is this is the kind of thing they should have been doing all along. They should be competing with Georgia for the best people resources. They should be competing with Georgia for the best player talent. They should be doing this. The idea that they're only now just starting to do this is frankly just a little bit weird. And the notion of a place like Georgia that's you know lost talent before, when you succeed at the recruiting level the way that Georgia has, of course there's going to be attrition off your staff. Of course other programs are going to want what you have. Um... And, of course, a place like Georgia, which has proven itself capable of replacing these type of people before, of course, they'll look out there and try to do that again here right now. But, you know, I think that there's some Florida fans who are trying to make this into a thing. It's clearly a good hire. I mean, she was good enough to work in Georgia, so she's clearly, a, you know, a, a capable person. You know, but the notion of, oh, this changes the balance, you know, balance of power in the SEC this is kind of what Florida should have been doing all along. So you saw some Georgia staffers wishing Katie well as she makes her move. And uh, obviously now this will kind of further what will be more longstanding battles between Georgia and Florida in recruiting. And I hope Florida is equal to the task because I certainly know that Georgia is going to be there on that. By the way, speaking of former Georgia recruiting staffers, Marshall Malcolm, who left Georgia to go to Texas A&M, is now apparently maybe on the move once again, reportedly could be leaving A&M to go join Dan Lanning there at Oregon so you know this is one of those things where like the average college football fan is not really mainstream the kind of person that would listen to a show like this watch a show like this is very deeply entrenched in college football you know there are a lot of NFL fans that couldn't even tell you what their favorite team's position coaches names are college football fans for the most part make the position coaches very famous they make the off-field analysts very famous they make the recruiting support staff very famous so the average person that watches and listens to this show just knows a lot about college football and a guy like Malco leaving Georgia to go to Texas A&M even though he's not a coach was a pretty big deal and now a guy like that if he does truly leave A&M to go to Oregon that's going to be a big deal there as well I mean I had a, a former SEC assistant coach tell me this one time that he was told by his head coach that he needed to write 100 handwritten notes per day. That's the kind of recruiting communication that goes on around the SEC. Position coaches have to do that, and if that's what they're doing, given the fact they've also got on-field coaching responsibilities, imagine how prolific the staffers have to be in terms of maintaining communication, knowing mama's birthday, knowing you know so-and-so's graduation day or prom day or whatever else is going on there that these kinds of touches and anybody who understands sales understands the recruiting process that you've got to just find a way to reach out and touch people you got to find a way to kind of stay relevant and an active factor in their life and that's what katie turner and marshall malco and guys like that that's what they give you a chance to do the best programs utilize that kind of stuff georgia has now done that over the course of multiple years with multiple folks kind of cycling out of the program and other programs if they want to recruit alongside Georgia they've got to have the same kind of staff in place it's actually one of the most fascinating parts of college football that probably doesn't get enough attention is just how how 
much work gets done on the recruiting process by people who aren't really all that famous. By the way, speaking of recruiting, uh, Shamar Stewart, one of those names is still out there. One of the February decisions for uh, National Signing Day, the kind of the old school traditional National Signing Day. He has put out a top three. I believe we have that. We can show you here. Uh, Georgia always gets central placement in these. I never quite understand why. In the case of Stewart, I actually don't believe he's coming to UGA. Maybe I'll change my mind at a certain point. But Georgia kind of always seems to get kind of central placement here on this. That red helmet looking good there for Shamar. Uh, he got Texas A&M on the one side. He's got Miami on the other. So Shamar Stewart still in play. Nice looking edit there by Hayes Fawcett from on three. Boy, he does a good job with that stuff. And Shamar Stewart, the latest example of that. So we will follow this story heading into the month of February and also into January with both Ernest Green and Christian Miller still slated to make their announcement. And one more thing related to the LSU quarterback situation. So Max Johnson is leaving. That motivated Miles Brennan to want to stay. Yeah, there, there's a Brennan. So he like I like the movie Wolf of Wall Street. It's it's probably one of the most gifable movie of all. So Brennan kind of puts out the uh, video of um, Jordan Belfort are uh, saying that he's not going anywhere. So Miles Brennan coming back. Now think about this for a moment. Brennan signed with LSU the same year that Jake Fromm signed with Georgia. He's a part of the 2017 class. Like, Miles Brennan's 33 years old now. Not really, but he, but he might as well be. Like, the rumor about, you know, how old Jordan Davis is that's not true, that really is true for Miles Brennan. He's a 2017 signee, and he's now coming back to LSU. This is a family that's deeply entrenched to the state of Louisiana. Brennan's kind of always been a fan favorite to win that job, either through injury or whatever other reason, has just never quite been able to do that. The presence of Joe Burrow obviously made that very hard at one point in time as well. So maybe through all of this, Brennan still gets his chance there at LSU, but he does let you know via the Jordan Belfort uh, viral video from Wolf of Wall Street that he is coming back to LSU after initially suggesting that he was going to transfer and he may have even officially put his name into the portal but just because you go in doesn't mean you can't come back out and that's apparently what miles brennan is getting ready to do and we will make that your sec through and i'll kind of want to examine a little more in detail the kind of weird aspects of the travis hunter story in just a moment before that though um you've heard me tell you about space dogs before you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I am smart enough to recognize trends when I see one. And one of the trends that's obviously been out there is the world of cryptocurrency as of late. And it's one of those things that more and more people talk about. It's the kind of idea that gets more and more mainstream over time. And so a lot of the folks who watch the show or listen to the show were left to say, hey, what exactly is crypto? And is it the kind of thing that I ought to be more of a part of? Well, at its simplest essence, it's just kind of a more safe, secure way to, to make transactions online. That's kind of what crypto is in a lot of ways. And that's where our friends at Space Dogs can step in here because they can help take a lot of the mystery out of the crypto currency world here they got some tremendous products that you ought to be aware of they've got a dog's token which is really cool spelled the way it's supposed to be d-a-w-g-s they've also got a dog's wallet and a space card as i said before all these crypto things are just ways of making better more secure transactions online i can explain this to you but actually their explanation is probably even better than mine is so if you're not sure you need a dog's wallet if you're not sure you need a dog's token if you're not sure you need a space card let them explain what it is and how that can be an easy entrance for you into the world of crypto. If you go to dogs.io, that's D-A-W-G-S, dogs.io, you can find out more about the world of crypto, how Space Dogs, some good UGA people, how they're kind of involved in that world, and just kind of check out some informative stuff on some cool new things including some great new products from our friends at space dogs so check them out today dogs.io for a lot more on that so you'll remember on wednesday the big news was the travis hunter nation's number one prospect from the state of georgia by the end i don't know that really all that many people thought he was actually coming to georgia that he'd taken some visits to uga i had some reason to believe he'd taken even more visits than had been publicized but ultimately, when it was all said and done, you know, I think a lot of folks kind of thought that Hunter probably was not coming to UGA, even though he's from Georgia and had visited UGA a few times. Florida State was the program he'd been long committed to and very steadfast in that commitment anytime someone asked about it. But then lo and behold, there on National Signing Day, he flipped from Florida State to Jackson State and Deion Sanders. Big news, nation's number one prospect, kind of going on a little bit of an unorthodox route for his college decision, got a lot of attention. 
And there was this wild rumor that popped up that the reason why he was doing so was because of big-time NIL dollars. Barstool Sports came up here. Dion has a relationship with Barstool. If you watch the video, uh, I believe it was WXIA Channel 11 here in Atlanta, when they streamed the Travis uh, Hunter commitment announcement, the decision when he put the Jackson State hat on, there were some voices at the end of that video talking about the million dollars, and that's what he was doing, that there was this seven-figure sum being mentioned when it comes to Travis Hunter and why he's going to go to Jackson State. And for a lot of fans, this was, you know, whether you're happy with that Hunter chose Jackson State or not, this is one of those things of, oh my gosh, is college football really changing this quick, this soon, that a guy's essentially making a decision because of money that was the kind of thing we've you know seen a lot of in college football before. Well, yesterday, Dion goes on ESPN, I believe it's like the morning show on the radio, and he was asked directly about the NIL stuff for Travis Hunter, and Dion, for what it's worth, emphatically denies all of that. This is Dion. I believe he's on with uh, Jason Williams, or I guess he's known as Jay Williams now, the former Duke basketball player. This is Dion saying that no, Travis Hunter's not getting the big NIL sum. Dion here on that topic. There's a lot of flack from the old guard about NIL and just pay him any amounts of money and all this kind well, of we stuff. Pay, we got the money. To a school like, we got well, the I, money. Can you, can, you just address, <laughs> can you just address all the stupidity out there for me, please? <laughs> a, a million and a half? I heard a million and a half, and I heard Dave Ford and Norman Barstool. That's the biggest lie I've ever heard. You know what that is? That means we kicked your butt, we took what was ours, and now you got to make up an excuse why. Ain't nobody got no a million and a half. I wouldn't pay my son a million and a half. You know, I'm going to coach a guy that's making more than me. So in this particular statement, Deion Sanders comes across acting as if it's inconceivable that he would try to facilitate a big NIL deal for a player like Travis Hunter, basically laughing off the idea of the million and a half dollars that he supposedly got. But it's fair to point out here that in the past, Dion has said some very different things when it comes to NIL. Let's go back to when the rules first started to become available. He was captured in, I believe this is a barstool like documentary type thing, telling his players that he absolutely wanted all of them to cash in in a big way when it comes to name, image, likeness, revenue, and essentially went so far as to promise them that they would. Which of these two statements is actually true? Let me let you hear Dion Sanders from a few months ago. If it's always the first that they say, we can get paid by image and likeness, I promise you, August the 1st at 12.01, whatever time it is, we're going to lay some of y'all out. Y'all going to be straight. And y'all make me hold my word to that. So I don't lie. I cry to you before I lie to you. So when the name image likeness stuff first comes around, Dion's telling his team, hey, at 12.01 of whatever day all this starts, y'all going to start cashing in. Then when Dion gets Travis Hunter, he essentially acts like it's crazy to think that uh, a guy like Hunter would cash in at Jackson State because, as Dion says, we ain't got no money. I think we're left to wonder here, well, what is the real truth? Because both those statements can't be true at the same time. And ultimately, as I said before, if Travis Hunter wants to go to Jackson State, I actually don't really care all that much because he probably wants to come to Georgia anyway. If he wants to do that because of Dion, if he wants to do that because of you know his belief in the HBCU system, if he wants to do that because of NIL money, I'm sort of fine with him making whatever choice is fine with, for him. I guess the thing that I'm getting to is this. Don't you find it fascinating that – NIL, name, image, likeness, the kind of revenue that players now have the opportunity to earn. It is probably the hottest topic around college football. People kind of talk about it all the time, but almost no one has any true facts. Like we hear this huge sum of money that so-and-so supposedly got, but we never get any verification if that actually happened. On the one hand, we hear Deion Sanders saying, I'm going to get my guys paid starting at 1201 whenever the NIL laws take effect. But then later on saying, we ain't got no money. We don't have any money to pay anybody. Like, I don't really care which of those two statements is true. I just want to know which one is true. Like, I, like, I want to know what's really happening with name image likeness. I, I'd like for someone in the national media to do some actual reporting on this, to stop cheerleading for Dion for five seconds and actually do some reporting on what really is going on here. Because if the story is this big, beyond just Travis Hunter, but the impact of NIL across the sport in general, if the story is this big that everyone's talking about it, then shouldn't we also have some of the facts on this? But it seems like, in a roundabout way, 
The conversation is dominated by rumor and innuendo, and there's very little in the way of actual verifiable fact. I hope that the national media will allow that to change at some point in time. Can we actually get some verifiable reporting on what truly is going on with name, image, likeness stuff? Because for the most part, I don't think we're getting that done right now. Uh, Before we wrap up here on this program today, let me also give one more shout out before we're all said and done. And that's to our friends at the Finish Long Drink. And of course, I told you before, I got holiday parties coming up. And one of the things that I want to make sure I take with me, toting right there in my arm as I'm walking to inside on one of these parties, Finish Long Drink. When people see me show up, they expect me to bring that as it is. And it's also one of those things, I like to introduce something to someone they may not have had before. Maybe for some folks still somewhere where I might be going, maybe they still haven't had the Finish Long Drink yet. By now, a lot of you have, but not everyone everywhere has. Of course, the Finish Long Drink's been in the United States now for a couple of years, coming over from Finland, started in Helsinki back in the 1950s. It's now available in the state of Georgia there, too. And if you go to the longdrink.com, put in your zip code, you can find out where you can get some of the long drink here today, and you can try to decide which of their four varieties is the best for you, whether it's the Long Drink Traditional, which comes in a blue can, the Long Drink Strong comes in a black can, that's eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink cranberry obviously as this name would suggest the cranberry flavor to go along with that gin kick plus the uh long drink zero zero carbs zero sugar it looks like a beer but it's not it comes in a can but it's a ready to drink cocktail right there in the can you can enjoy some and speaking of those cans you can even pick up one of those eight can variety packs which has two of each of the four varieties of the finished long drink for you to enjoy for you to share and make a big part of your holiday celebration so make sure you check out the finished long drink today online at thelongdrink.com so this is a very strange golden shoe and actually probably one of the more scandalous things we've actually even put on the screen here so a reporter has taken a picture you know auburn is about to play in the prestigious birmingham bowl uh and listen anytime you get a chance to go to birmingham and play in the birmingham bowl obviously you throw the records out the window but apparently something else has been thrown out the window there as well the clothes on the person who's on the birmingham bowl statue this is all really weird and i realize if you're watching on video you can't see this this is one of those moments where you better be thankful that you can't see it uh because let me show you a picture of the birmingham bowl statue for a moment first of all i don't know who the birmingham dude even is right there looks like is that paul bunyan or like john henry or something like that um like why didn't he have any clothes on like uh that like what is going on here with the birmingham bowl trophy so we'll give Auburn a golden shoe trophy to make up for the very odd Birmingham Bowl trophy they're trying to win. Also, speaking of UGA rivals, about lousy stinking Gators, uh, Katie Turner, whoever else is over there, they're going to be toting a loss come 316 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. Y'all have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. We'll look forward to talking to you then. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. I got a couple of late very good golden shoe submissions that I should have made sure I included in the show. Um, <laughs> we'll have to do more of these later on. Uh, very funny. A couple things. Very funny here. Uh, we were also in our video cool down a moment ago. Somehow we started talking about old baseball players and baseball cards and things like that. I think Deion Sanders got us talking about old baseball players. And so uh, Shmua Davis on here on the subject of – Talking about, talking about Willie Stargell. You, know, you remember Stargell, um, who I'm pretty sure in the 80s, after he was done as a player, wasn't Stargell a coach for the Braves for a while? Didn't he coach first or was the hitting instructor or something like that? We're talking about how he used to hit these like towering shot home runs. At least that's what I've been told. And one of, one of the things I was asking is, is how much video actually exists of these just like mammoth blasts. And I knew he'd hit the ball like in some amazing places. So what the commenter says here is that he was actually the first player to ever hit the ball out of Dodger Stadium. Now, imagine that. Uh, he also did it twice over the course of his career. So that's actually an amazing accomplishment. So to give you an idea of what we're doing on the video side, we, we're not talking Georgia football. We were talking about old baseball players, and we started talking about uh, Willie Stargell. So uh, Brian Whitehead sharing the fact that um, – I think it's actually really cool. So uh, uh, Julian Humphrey, who likes to be called Julio – has his own trademarked logo now and it's actually a really cool thing i guess it's kind of a play on the old uh darrell revis the revis island thing this is julio island and he's kind of got a palm tree motif it's actually a really cool logo uh, i think this is pretty neat uh arthur roche asking now that the george pickens we talked yesterday briefly about pickens getting an nil deal through tom brady's company 
He says, how likely is it for him to come back for one more year to have a full season to impress the NFL? Feels like that would be akin to a big-time transfer coming in at this point. It'd be a huge thing for Georgia if Pickens were to come back. I, I don't get the impression this is the kind of NIL money that necessarily changes his mind. I am still of the belief that he's more likely than not going to the NFL, but I'd, I'd love to be wrong. Uh, our buddy Melchizedek uh, laughing at me because I did the Kamari Wilson thing the other day, and when Wilson did his little gator chomp thing, I was like, all right, that's enough of that. Let's tune out of this video. So, yeah, Melchizedek having some fun with me over that. Also, um, uh, uh, Father John Misty uh, on Twitter also was – kind of laughing at me because I called Dan Mullen a dunce the other day. Yeah, listen, we're going to keep this Gator Hater stuff going. We're going to keep having a good time with all of that. Old coach, new coach, everything else in between. So y'all have a great weekend. Thanks for being here for our podcast cool down. Don't forget to send your comments in to the Dog Nation uh, homepage, dognation.com, when, when we post the show every day or here on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. We'll read some. Also, update on next week's schedule. We'll do a normal show Monday, Tuesday, and fairly normal show on Wednesday. Uh, I'm also doing the Georgia Elite Classic All-Star All Star game that day. And then no show on Thursday, no show on Friday in honor of Christmas. We want to spend some time there with my family. And then we will see all of you then the following Monday from South Florida getting ready for the Orange Bowl. I'll be in Fort Lauderdale getting ready for that. So looking forward to the next few days. Hope you all have a great weekend. Back here Monday, Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. R.S. Andrews podcast. Cool down after that. We'll talk to you then, everybody.